Welcome to Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. I'm Tony Conley. Thanks so much for tuning in. We've got a great guest for you today. We're going to talk gasoline and petroleum and some other stuff. If you follow Patrick DeHaan at Gas Buddy Guy on Twitter, which is now called X, I love the way he defined himself. Ahead of inflation data, Gas Buddy data shows the advantage. The average price of gasoline for July 2022 was 4.52. Holy cow! And then when we look at it now, it's 3.56. So, Patrick, welcome to you. What do you think about these gas prices right now? Well, Tony, it's you know it was a quiet summer, and suddenly it's not so quiet anymore with gas prices that were making jump up to their highest level since what we saw this spring. So. You know, oil prices have been up for six straight weeks now, probably since the last time we spoke. Oil prices have just been on a nonstop rise, and that's because of the Saudis cutting production. But pepper in some heat-related refinery outages. I mean, we're talking about triple digits in Texas, where a lot of the nation's refining capacity is. When you talk about 115-degree weather, I don't know about you, Tony, but I don't, you know, I've been in some of that Las Vegas dry heat. That's not a whole lot of fun, though. No, someone who's uh, been to not only Las Vegas, but if you go to the Scottsdale, Arizona area, it's very, very hot there, but it's dry. As someone who lived in Houston, Texas for two and a half years, baby, when it's hot there, it's drippy hot. It's very uncomfortable. Unfortunately, you know, there is this thing, physics, called thermal expansion, too, that you start to see when things get real hot, even roads buckle, right? And that's why mm-hmm. we all have these expansion joints. but. A lot of that hits refineries, too. When things get really hot, Tony, it's so much harder to keep that refinery cool. Not only that, but those liquids expand, essentially reducing capacity at refineries in hot weather. But, you know, I got three computer screens behind me. I don't know about you, but they put out a lot of heat at room temperature. When things get really hot, things tend to electronics, which are real sensitive to the heat. They tend to stop working sometimes, and that can happen at refineries as well. Yeah. So we're in the middle of August now, nearing the middle of August. What do you foresee gas price-wise around, not only in our neck of the woods here in Michigan, but around the country? And when will we see the transition from the summer blend to the winter blend? Well, I think over the next few weeks, Tony, there may be a little bit more downside. Demand for gasoline tends to peak in late July. This year, it looks like it peaked in early August, just last week. As schools start to reopen, demand for gasoline falls, and that usually provides a nice decline going into the Labor Day weekend. But there can be exceptions. Things like hurricane season can derail that decline that usually happens going into Labor Day. We also, as you mentioned, the transition to winter gasoline happens starting September 16th. The EPA's rules on summer gasoline go through September 15th. So if you wake up on the 16th, those rules are done, and then we can start ushering in that cheaper winter gasoline. But there are some caveats too, you know, it's been kind of a challenging year as the economy has kind of navigated some rising interest rates. There's been talks of an economic slowdown, which maybe it looks like we could avoid now. And amidst those production cuts from Saudi Arabia and Russia now is going along with those. The question, Tony, is really, is the economy going to heat up from here on? The Fed is talking about the end of raising interest rates. That could mean more robust economic growth, and that could mean more oil demand. Keep in mind with those OPEC production cuts, more demand is going to lead to a wider imbalance that could push oil and gasoline prices higher at some point down the road. 
From your perspective, does the economy drive petroleum and prices, or is it vice versa, petroleum prices drive the economy? Well, it's, it's kind of twofold. You know, when the economy is strong, it generally means Americans consume more hydrocarbons like diesel, jet fuel, and gasoline. But the two go very hand in hand. I mean, you could have a strong economy and low prices. You could have a strong economy and high prices. The wild card is really oil producers. And right now, with Saudi Arabia and Russia taking a more active approach to cut production, well, you know, it's not the greatest news. And that's kind of a risk to the uh, economy going into next year. Right now, Tony, they're kind of underproducing by a million or two million barrels a day. And that means that extra one or two million barrels a day that the global economy needs is coming out of inventories. And with inventories decline, Tony, that's not good news, especially if we're going to need inventories to be more adequate next year if the economy is strong. That's going to put us on a path to higher oil prices unless OPEC changes course, which at this point, it doesn't look like they're going to do anytime soon. I want to talk a little bit more about OPEC. We're going to take a quick break here. I'm Tony Connolly. We're talking with Patrick DeHaan from GasBuddy.com. When we come back, we're going to talk about oil producing nations. We'll do that next here on Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. We do office and have been exceeding our customers' expectations since 1984. DBI is celebrating its 30th anniversary as a premier office supply and furniture dealer in mid-Michigan. DBI offers more products and services than any other office supply and furniture dealer in mid-Michigan. Find out what DBI can do for your office at dbis.com. Welcome back to Media Business. I'm Tony Conley. We're talking with Patrick DeHaan from Gas Buddy. And if you follow Patrick on Twitter, now called X, I love the way he defines himself. Not defined by political agendas, oil and refined products, gas price, myth buster and fact checker. So when I look at oil producing countries, if I look at this from a personal view, I feel like we're getting punked. I feel like the United States has decided to kind of roll back things because of the administration that we're in and that Russia, as well as Saudi Arabia, as well as even Venezuela are kind of trying to fill the void. What's your take on that? Well, I think Saudi Arabia certainly is. Tony, look at what they're trying to acquire, right? The PGA, they're trying to go after athletes with millions of dollars, Lionel Messi, they tried to chase for $220 million. The Saudis are digging deep. Now, the problem with that is that their main source of revenue to pay for these things is oil, oil revenue. And oil prices as recently as June were $65 a barrel, something that the Saudis now is too low. And so relatively quickly, the Saudis have cut back production significantly to try and boost the price of oil. And that's been mildly successful. In the meanwhile, as you mentioned, the administration has had some missteps, obviously, over the last couple of years, throwing the oil industry under the bus, but now realizing it needs more oil. And so there have been various policies, Tony, that maybe shouldn't have happened. And I think the administration has kind of backstepped some of those things. 
But again, it's politically sensitive, right? For a president to go into the White House saying that he's going to go after the oil sector. And then if he eases up too much on that, he risks his reelection. So there's a delicate balance, Tony. We certainly do need more oil globally. Part of the reason for that is Russia's war in Ukraine, though. So, you know, that's the big caveat that the administration didn't see happening. If they did, if they would have been able to foresee that, I bet you they would have taken a different path. But now, to your point, the SPR is half full. We've released a lot of that oil, but U.S. oil production is still not back at record levels that we were just ahead of COVID. Patrick, I wondered if the powers that be that decided to make these changes so we have cut back on oil production and we are trying to move ahead and be more dynamic when it comes to not using oil. I'm looking around here. This chair is plastic, this computer so many products around us use oil. So let's just go beyond transportation. I wonder if that got lost in this move that we made. Well, I think a lot of folks have demonized the sector. And I mean, look at both of us. We both have glasses on. Their frames are made out of plastic. The lenses are made out of plastics. You know, everything behind me is, you know, the TVs that we enjoy. Plastics are everywhere, Tony. And, you know, to go after oil companies for you and me, you know, consuming gasoline, I don't really know. I have a little bit of personal responsibility. I decide, right, I'm filling my car up with gasoline. And that's something I decided, not oil companies. Oil companies are simply giving me a means to, you know, fill up my car. But all of that is really, you know, the government has gone after that now. It's no longer socially acceptable for people to put gasoline in their cars, or I should say it's becoming less apparently socially acceptable, which I think is fairly ridiculous, especially when you consider that, you know, Going after the oil sector is kind of a regressive tax, Tony. It's not the rich populations that struggle with buying Teslas, but it's those low-income folks that are stuck driving vehicles that might be 10 or 15 years old. So to go after the oil sector is, you know, it's kind of misplaced, but politicians are infamous for pointing and blaming the wrong group. Patrick, from what you know, how much oil is in the ground on our planet? How long do we have to be able to use oil and not only products, but to be able to drive, to be able to have it here? And let's set aside us trying to make that tradition away from petroleum products. Well, there's billions of barrels left. And, you know, the amazing thing, Tony, is that the world population consumes about 100 million barrels a day. So we're talking about significant sums, if not trillions of barrels and billions of barrels. A lot of that right now is locked up in the Middle East. Venezuela still has some of the largest proven oil reserves, Tony, but the infrastructure in Venezuela has suffered significantly simply because the state has not maintained them. After Venezuela took over the public or the oil company's assets, they failed to maintain them. And now Venezuela, as we've seen in you know, many of the stories, Venezuela has fallen into disarray from socialist leadership that has not invested in maintaining that infrastructure. And so Venezuela, which could be more like a Saudi Arabia when it comes to oil production, produces barely enough oil to even supply their own economy. So there's been a lot of turns here. How about us here in the United States? What does our supply look like looking in the Gulf and in Alaska and other areas? Alaska produces about 500,000 barrels a day that they ship down to the lower 48. The total amount of oil production in the United States today is about 12.2 million barrels a day. That's according to the most recent estimates. 
We are the world's largest oil producer as it stands. And Tony, we export almost half of what we're producing. So of that 12.2 million barrels a day, we export anywhere from four to six million barrels. In fact, when Russia invaded Ukraine and Russia was no longer a source of reliable oil, Europe has turned to the United States. We are certainly very much the most stable, largest supplier of oil to the global market. So, I mean, that's critical. Providing a stable supply of oil to the global market, Tony, is critical to limiting inflation. Patrick Dahan is with Gas Buddy. When we come back, we're going to talk about infrastructure and change, the transition, if you will, from oil. We'll do that next here on Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. Sinair has been advancing communities and providing opportunities for people in Michigan for more than 25 years. Through lending, investments, and the creation of homes and jobs, Sinair has made a combined $7 billion impact on the communities they serve. Learn more at www.sinair.com. This is Media Business. I'm Tony Conley. We're talking with Patrick DeHaan. So, Patrick, just, you know, I like to keep diving into this because the information varies wherever you go. But just from what you know, and I know your focus is petroleum, but do you think that we have the infrastructure in place short term to make the transition from petroleum products to other resources, to other sources for energy? Well, Tony, I think it's accelerating the pace of transition now. We're up to eight out of every new 100 cars, and I actually think it's 12 now, 12 out of every new 100 cars being registered are electric vehicles. And I think right now, the cart is a little bit ahead of the horse. That is, you know, in states like California, the infrastructure has fallen behind a bit because of lackluster investments in generating electricity. You know, we haven't had new power plants coming online. A brand new nuclear power plant just came online in Georgia massively over budget. You know, I think the infrastructure is not there, but the infrastructure now through some of the bills that we've seen go through Congress, I think it's going to accelerate. But yeah, I think there's certainly a very strong argument, Tony, that the infrastructure is still falling behind the pace of transition. All right, Patrick. So we're near the middle of August here. We're winding down the dog days of summer going into the fall. What are you going to be watching? What news should we be looking for? What information should we be watching? What's catching your eye to look for as we get into third quarter? Well, Tony, I think the real worry here moving forward is we are coming into a time of year that hurricane season really starts to ramp up. The most active of hurricane season starts in mid to late August and lasts or mid to late September. And with OPEC making production cuts, There's less oil in the market. Keep in mind, as you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of oil production in the United States out in the Gulf of Mexico. And if a hurricane develops in the Gulf of Mexico, it could cause a shutdown of oil production. In addition, ahead of Labor Day, if we get a big hurricane in the Gulf of Mexico, that could also impact refineries that are on the coast in Texas and Louisiana. So there's a lot of sensitivities moving forward. Tony, if we can escape hurricane season without a major event, that certainly would be very good news. But then we still have to contend with Saudi Arabia and Russia, which have actively been cutting production. I do think prices should give up a little bit of ground. Traditionally, once we get into late September through October and November, prices are in decline. 
I'm hopeful, Tony, that somehow we'll see prices in the low $3 a gallon range as we go to hit the road for Thanksgiving. But things like a major hurricane could impact that. Things like OPEC production cuts could impact that. Moving forward into 2024, the economy should get back on its feet a little bit more. And I'm a little worried, Tony, that if OPEC doesn't change course and start increasing production, that 2024 could bring with it more of a pinch at the pump. But Patrick, I like to ask you every so often what you think we in the media do. How are we doing? And as you look across all mediums, I know that you do interviews to everyone from Fox News to radio to, to online. How are we doing and how can we be better and what do we need to report more about? I think most of the media on both sides of the aisle, because of course people align some networks with some affiliations. I think most of the time that I have a chance to talk, I think most of it is, you know, it's very honest. And the questions are usually pretty similar and that people want to know what's going to happen with their wallets. You know, there's a lot of political motivations that go into oil prices and a lot of people that want to blame a political party that they don't agree with for all their problems. But a lot of the time, you know, when it comes to oil prices, Tony, economics is a lot more powerful than a politician, global supply and demand. But I think the media presents that story pretty fairly. I think it's people just don't often want to remember that they're oftentimes in charge of their own fate. They'd rather, it's a lot easier, Tony, blaming somebody else than it is ourselves. But I think the media covers it pretty fairly from my position. Patrick, I don't know how the folks out on the West Coast in California can pay for gasoline. I know <laughs> even you in Illinois, it's quite a bit more than yeah. it is here. But most of that money is because of taxes. That's where politics plays a bigger role. Illinois does have high gasoline taxes, the highest in the Midwest by far, and California. On top of high gasoline taxes, they have bureaucracy that drives prices up. They have their own blends of gasoline. They have a state government that has cracked down and put additional regulations on refineries. And Tony, I know politicians don't admit it, but oftentimes those policies are what drive prices higher to begin with. You look at a state like Texas, where they're much more friendly with fewer regulations, and you compare it with California, and there's a huge difference between what motorists are paying at the pump. A lot of the reason for that is simply bureaucracy. And last question for you, Patrick. You mentioned Venezuela, how they really stopped putting money into infrastructure for their mm -hmm. petroleum production, and really they don't have the rules and regulations that we do. You also mentioned that we here in the United States really haven't built new refineries in a long, long time. Do we need to do that? How are we doing when it comes to our refineries? COVID took out a lot of refining capacity, over a million barrels a day that we lost because of the pandemic. Refiners simply couldn't stay in business when Americans and when trucking companies and airlines weren't you know, running full. Now, a lot of our oil, Tony, that we refine actually gets exported into Latin America and South America. Those are two areas that have not invested in new refineries. So even as we start the transition or continue the transition to EVs, refineries in the U.S. can do it much better, much more efficiently than other refineries globally because we have access to cheap energy, natural gas. And because there's a market for our gasoline and diesel, especially in Latin America and South America, where they really have not been able to keep up with building that infrastructure. There's a booming population in those countries. And so that really gives Gulf Coast refineries a lot of future that they can export their product into those markets. 
Patrick DeHaan is with Gas Buddy. You can follow him on Twitter at Gas Buddy Guy. Patrick, it's great talking with you. Stay well. We'll talk soon. Keep up the great work, Tony. Thanks for having me. I'm Tony Connolly. This is Media Business on the Michigan Business Network.